0: Good day, good morning, wherever you are. Good evening. This, of course, is Brandon with 238 Media. I have the privilege to bring you a wonderful debate that I and the uh, rest of various oneness groups, such as uh, the Hope Spot, um, members of Monotheism Mandate, 238 Media, we have the chance of enjoying this lively conversation between uh Bishop Jerry Hayes, a very experienced oneness apologist who has had in times past over 100 moderated public debates. And we do have his opponent by the his social media handle OT, who is going to be representing the Trinitarian side. The subject of this debate is to determine does the scripture give adequate evidence of God being tripersonal or unipersonal? So I want you to sit back, listen, uh, let me know what you think. Please leave your comments, share, rate, and subscribe. Uh, and as always, it's the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name.
1: So, uh, five, four, three, two, one, and time. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Gavin. Thank you, everybody, for being here. I just want to also especially thank uh, Bishop Jerry Hayes for uh, making this debate possible. I believe it's a great opportunity for us to have a civil discourse and for us to be engaged in understanding what the scriptures say. Um, One of the things that as we, uh, in line with the the title, is the biblical God unipersonal or tri personal? My position and prayer, what the scriptures reveal, is that God is tri personal. And this is achieved by going through a system, it's a systematic approach that we, we, we gain when we look at the full counsel of scripture. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to look at the scriptures all from Genesis to Revelation. And the, the scriptures has clearly revealed to us that God is multipersonal. Some of the things that you'll find from the, from the opponent is he will make statements where it will actually be arguments for binitarian uh, arguments or unitarian arguments. But it will still be leaving the. It will be more. His his position will be more against the Trinity, not as it being a position on a Unitarian God, because it's very. He'll be hard pressed to find scriptures that will conclusively state that God is Unitarian, and the only way that we can really clearly uh, uh interpret the the scriptures is per the Trinity, and it starts off all the way from Genesis. And it goes through all to revelation. Just to give a clarity, because many times there's straw manning from uh, the the other position where they believe we believe in three gods. So just to give a, a brief uh, explanation and a brief um, description of what the Trinity is: is we believe in one God who exists as three distinct persons who are co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial. And coexistent. And these three persons are distinct from one another. And how we are able to see these these distinctions. And one of the things that we'll we'll find is that the, the argument will go towards where persons is. But one thing that I find from the opponent's camp is that usually they don't have a clear understanding of what persons is. Because persons does not necessarily mean being. Being can technically be anything, a chair has been a tree has been, a dog has been a, an, um, an angel has been and God has been. but when it comes to persons the distinctions pertaining to the persons is that uh, what makes a person a human being a unique being compared to other animals or other sorry other, other of God's creations is that a human being is is a being that exists as a person. So that is one of the things why it's necessary to understand that persons is also essential for you to be a human being. Yet persons is not just unique to human beings. Persons is also found in angels, and person is also found in a uh, God. So now the question is, is he unipersonal uni-pers- or is he tripersonal? And what, what we understand is that there isn't anything that's going to be breaking any logical. Uh, aspects or even things like divine, this divine simplicity when we consider the fact that God is one being who exists as three distinct persons. Unlike the angels who are one being, one person. Human beings are one being, one person. With that, I will go straight to the scriptures. And the very first scripture that opens up is Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the very beginning of Genesis 1 to 3, it takes, we find that it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and desolate. Emptiness and the darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light and was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. If we actually look at what the word God means in the Hebrew, we see this unique thing where obviously in Hebrew they had El, but instead the word that's used is Elohim. And it goes consistently with the the rest of the theme of Genesis 1 because we already have uh, uh, started the Genesis 1, 1 to 3 with a plurality. And man, when we go to Genesis 1, 26, and we go to Genesis 3.22, and we go to Genesis 11.7, and we see this consistency of the us, it will be now on the onus of the opponent to prove what the us means. Now, if he's going to say the royal us, the royal us is not something that came, but it came by more recent recent, uh, case pertaining to uh, the British monarchy. If he will say that God created the heavens and the earth with the angels, it's not consistent with the Scriptures because when we go to Psalm thirty-three verse six, Psalm thirty-three verse six says, "By the breath of the Almighty, uh, were the heavens created; by the by, by sorry, by the Word of God, were the heavens created; by but by, by by the Spirit of God, were the heavens uh, the hosts thereof." So now. One of the things that he will draw to is an argument of silence, and he will say, "Well, I only see the spirit," and and clearly the the breath represents the spirit of God, and the word represents obviously we will understand that as Jesus. So we have this distinct persons being mentioned there. The only argument that he will draw to if he goes to that Psalms will will be an argument of silence, and he'll ask where is the Father? But that will be a problem on the oneness a modulist position because they believe that Jesus is the Father. So even then, if he still says the word there is the Father, he still has to explain why there's this distinction of the word, of the word of God and the breath. Now, we're not saying that they are not united in nature, but we're definitely saying that in their unity the persons work in the creative work because they all all the three persons of God. The same thing we'll find is he will also make an argument from silence when he goes to uh, John one, one. Like we noticed in Psalms 33 verse six, we have the spirit and we have, we have the spirit and we have the word there. He'll make an argument and go to John one, one and say, well, in John one, one, he'll also probably make an argument from Silas and probably, uh, you utilize the, the trickery that is usually used to make it seem like they are, they are distinct persons with twisting around the Greek, but I'm just saying in the plain English because we're English speakers, it clearly shows us that there are three distinct two uh, two distinct persons that are being mentioned in john john uh, one one and that one the word is Jesus and the and God mentioned there is the father. Now, if someone may be questioning, well, uh, you are just drawing from it. Well, uh, the best ex- exegesis that you get f- from the scriptures is actually from the scriptures and from the apostles themselves. Now, John actually exeges g- that scripture in 1 John 1 and 2, where he gives us clarity that that's the word is actually the son there, who is Jesus and god mentioned there is the father so in first john 1 2 he says and the life was manifested and we have seen so clearly the life that was manifested is jesus christ and he says and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with and notice the key word that is with the father and was manifested to us that is a very it's it's a companion verse and it's actually exegeting what uh, John was speaking about in John one one, where he stated, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with w- with God, and the Word was God." So we see that uh, repetition so clearly in first in First John chapter one verse two. He gives us clarity of that. Now, the other things that we can look at is, for example, when we go. Like I said, we begin the Bible with a Trinity. We close off the Bible with a Trinity. So we go to Revelation 22, verse 1. And clearly, yes, it's speaking in apocalyptic, it's apocalyptic literature. And yes, it is metaphorical. But the, these are concrete metaphors that have already been laid out for us in preceding verses. So definitely, with Revelation being the junction point of all the books from Genesis all the way to uh first uh, uh three uh, the uh, three John so all to that point is bring us to this junction point and this is what um Jesus says he says and then he showed me a river of, of water of life clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the lamb so now he may argue that oh well it's mentioning the throne of God and of the lamb and if he denies the fact that the lamb there is Jesus Christ and he's God and he's being dis- distinguished from the one mentioned who's been mentioned as God in there, then he might as well be a Unitarian, and not believe that Jesus Christ is God. So there's the only way to make for this verse to be clear is to see it from a trinity because we know the water of life when we went to John 4, where Jesus Christ gave us clarity of the water of life being the Holy Spirit. And uh, we also know that in, in the rest of scripture, many times, even though we know that there's one God and we, and we know that God is triune, many times, and that's part of where a lot of my opponents trip, is that many times the word, the word God is applied to the Father. And the mistake they make is uh, something called an equivocation fallacy, that when they go into that scripture, Instead of reading it in within the context of why it's saying that, they miss it. So like in this scripture, the water of life is represented by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the throne of God is representing the Father and the, and then of the Lamb. That obviously a lot would not dispute that it's actually uh, Jesus Christ himself. And the fact that we have that conjunction, that word and has been applied, it's actually categorizing. And the fact that it's already giving us distinctions. And we see that repeated pattern in Scripture, like uh, Matthew 28, 19. Go ye de- baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Giving us those distinctions. Now, the thing that I'll close off with as we draw to an end is the fact that it's why it's critical to get this doctrine right is that if you do not get the Trinity right, then there's it begs the question if you have uh, a sound sound uh, doctrine pertaining to things like penal, substitutionary atonement. So the thing that will be questioned at the ending of it all is especially who is judging Jesus Christ. And I will read from Isaiah 53, uh, verse 4 to 6, where it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem them stricken, smitten of God. So listen to this. Yet we ourselves esteem them stricken, Smitten of God, so there is someone who's who's who who has smited this individual, Jesus, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgression; he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. So now, pertaining to what we're mentioning with penal substitution and atonement, is this: now there's someone who has to judge Jesus Christ. Now, even in our own law, we understand something called conflict of interest. You cannot judge yourself. You could, but there'll be a conflict of interest. And we understand this in our law. And God, who is greater than us and more righteous than us, if he's judging himself, he begs to question whether you have received, um, uh, whether a true judgment has been placed on Jesus Christ. Because he could always. Uh, Manipulate things to his benefit. But we can see clearly here, yet we ourselves esteem the stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Now, we know that the individual or the opponent is not a Unitarian, so you wouldn't say that Jesus Christ is just a human being. And then uh, you cannot break the hypostatic union because if you say that he's just a human being at the point when he's being judged, then it's broken the hypostatic union because. He, he is fully God and fully human being, even though he may have um, minimized his uh, operation as God, but all the time, because if he stops being God, it causes a major logical problem that uh, God is supposed to be eternal. So Jesus Christ is fully God, fully human being, but someone else who is God is smiting him, per uh, Isaiah 53 uh Verse 4 to 6. With that, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hearing what Jerry has to say, and hopefully, he can show me through the scriptures why his position is consistent with scriptures. With that, thank you. God bless you guys.
1: Thank you, Oti. That was um, done with the precision of an accountant. <laughs> so, um, uh, Pastor Jerry, are you all set to go? Do you want to do count down? Go are? Sure. Okay, so I'll count. I'll count you down, Pastor. Uh, in five, four, three, two, one, and that's time.
3: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so good to be with you for this. Um, I want to thank Odie for agreeing to have this discussion. First, uh, I want to talk about what the issue is and what the issue is not. The issue is whether or not the God of the Bible.
1: Okay, so I'll count. I'll count you down, Pastor. Uh, in five, four, three, two, one, and that's time.
3: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so good to be. With you for this, um, I want to thank Odie for agreeing to have this discussion. First, uh, I want to talk about what the issue is and what the issue is not. The issue is whether or not the God of the Bible is revealed as a unipersonal God. The issue is not whether or not Jesus is God. Of course, I do believe that. And uh, Brother Gavin, if you can mute your mic, if y'all can mute your mics, I would appreciate it. And a matter of fact, if you would add about a minute to my time, I would appreciate it. Okay, so uh, the issue is not whether or not uh, God is, uh, that Jesus is God, but it's whether or not the God of the Bible is presented as being one rational sentient being. And we hold that the Bible does in fact present us with a God that is one sentient being. Now, Paul tells us that the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And if you ask any Hebrew in the days of Christ about deity, and you would discover that there was no confusion in their theology. The answer was a universal one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Now, with the coming of Christ, radical monotheism of the Hebrew prophets was enforced. The great teacher, Christ, rehearsed the Shema to a young man that would know of the first commandment of all. The first of all commandments, Jesus said, is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord. Now, much is learned about a man by listening to him pray. No doubt the apostles were listening in on Jesus's John 17 prayer. I have no doubt that that prayer was prayed entirely for their benefit. Jesus taught his hearers by his prayers. Now we hear him pray in John seventeen three, And this is eternal life that they may know thee, the only true God. Now, <clears throat> Jesus sat on the brim of a well just outside of Sychar. He was the well setting on a well. And there he instructed a woman in the correctness of Jewish theology. After hearing the words of Christ on this occasion, one would never think that Christianity could add an iota to the Hebrew concept of deity. Hear the words of Jesus. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We, talking about the Jews, know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, John four twenty one and 22. Now here, once for all, Jesus validated the Hebrew idea of God. You all, Jesus said, meaning the Samaritans, do not know what you worship. We, meaning the Jews, know what we worship. Here Jesus put his stamp of approval on the radical monotheism of the Hebrews. Now, look, no matter what men may think of Jesus, he had not come to clear up a misunderstanding concerning Hebrew theology of God's person. He had come to confirm it, beloved. Just where he personally fit into the scheme of that Godhead was a question that would be be debated almost from the very beginning. And that's what we're doing actually here today. Now, one thing is certain. The Jews knew absolutely nothing of a trinity, let alone a societal trinity. All they knew that God was one. They knew nothing of a plurality of persons. Moses, Maimonides, the Jewish scholar writes, worship of a trinity is polytheism, end quote. He called Christians because he only knew of Trinitarian Christians, heathens, idolaters, violators of the commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, the apostles of our Lord accepted, they they accepted radical monotheism of their Hebrew forefathers. And, And remember, Jesus validated it. He put his stamp of approval on it, that Jesus was God they knew, that Jesus was a man they knew. Now, instead of taking pain to examine this acceptance of Christ into the Hebrew system of deity, it was simply assumed. When a teaching has no rivals, It is unnecessary to attempt to prove or to defend. I mean, what do you defend from if there is no offensive opponent? To whom do you offer proof if there is no questioning rival? On to such a landscape step the apostles of our Lord, assuming, not proving, the deity of Christ. Now, and the modalistic monarchianism that was to characterize the first 300 years of the church's history. Not until pagan priests, supposedly converted to Christianity, was the position of Christ as God Almighty, Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, this was not brought into question until the supposedly conversion of Greeks into the church. When men such as Marcion, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Hippolytus, and Origen, to name but a few of the better known, arrived on the scene, they found the Hebrew concept of one God and the Hebraic Christology, the theology concerning Christ based on the revelation of Hebrew prophets, with Jesus as the monarchy deeply entrenched in the heart and the souls of the rank and file of Christianity. Now, the Hebrew concept of God is clearly seen in the Shema. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, Deuteronomy 6, four. The one here referred to is a solitary and not a compound one, as the Bible proves. Now, we do see this beyond question in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 39. Let's let let's look closely at that scripture. I'm not going to use a lot of scriptures today. I'm not going to try to overpower you with scriptures because we only need a few to present the God of the Bible. And here, Deuteronomy 32, 39, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. Here the spokesman is Yahweh, Some say Jehovah, who alone is the most high. He speaks of himself as a single being. I, first person singular personal pronoun. The word he, third person masculine, singular personal pronoun. With me is the preposition imade, suffix, imad, I'm sorry, suffix with the first person singular personal pronoun. The personal pronouns in an abbreviated form are affixed to nouns, prepositions, etc., to express the genitive and objective cases. What does this mean? It means that the object of the preposition in this verse is a single person. My hand is the first person singular possessive pronoun. The hand was the possession of one person. All the verbs of this verse are the first person singular form. In Hebrew, the verb must agree with its subject in number and also in gender. Thus, the divine person in this verse spoke of himself as a single person and stated that no other person of deity exists. It is abundantly clear that Hebrew monotheism was a belief in one solitary God. Jesus validated that to the lady of Samaria there at the well. It was not an understanding of one in a compound sense. To believe in God as a solitary being is of so much importance that Jesus taught it to be the very first of all commandments. When Jesus was asked by a young man which of the commandments was the first of all, he was told by Christ that the first commandment was, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, Mark chapter 12 and verse 29. And in my closing five or six minutes, let's look at that. Here, Jesus said in Mark 12, 29, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now in Mark, Chapter 12 and verse 29, Jesus uses the word haste. This is uh, in the Greek. This is what John puts into Jesus's mouth, the word haste, that the Lord is one. The Greek word is haste. Now, the use of this particular word is very important in our study of the true meaning of the term one, because our friends, they don't really know what one means. One is as it relates to God, is the Greek word hase The interest here lies in the fact that this word haste did not have to be used. Other Greek words for one could have been employed, such as hen, tis, or maya. Now, there are reasons why the particular word haste and not any other words are used. If if uh, maya was used, it would mean that's feminine. It would mean God was feminine. If hen was used, it would mean God was a uh, plural compound one in some sense. Now my friend definitely and all Trinitarians definitely need him to be in Mark 12 and 29 but it is not. The word is haste. The choice of the masculine haste is descriptive of just how God is one. The following is a list of scholars Jerry and Hayes their comments speaking. on the Greek masculine haste. Joseph Henry Thayer Haste means the cardinal numeral one. When the word haste make, takes the place of a predicate, it means one person. Page one eighty-six, a Greek English Lexicon of the of the New Testament, Mister A.T. Robinson. One when masculine haste sets forth the idea of the cardinal numeral one when referring to people or things. Bayer, Bauer. The masculine one, heis, means a single, only one, Gingrich. The masculine one, heis, is equivalent to protas, which means first, only one, single. The amazing truth is that heis is found 93 plus times in the New Testament relating only to people, and never is this word, did I say never? Let me say it again. Never is this word used for more than one person, and I'll say it again, never. The importance of the Greek masculine one being used by John for the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, beloved, is this. The Lord God of Israel is said to be but one person. Also, when we look at the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, the Hebrew word there is ekad, that is the Hebrew word for one. If you ask a Hebrew child to count to 10, the first word out of his mouth would be ekad. Now, when this was translated into Greek by uh, the Septuagint translators, those Hebrew scholars that uh, spoke Greek when and wrote in Greek, when they translated ekad from the Shema into Greek, they used the word heis, heis. Is the masculine Greek one that can never mean a compound one. Did I say never? Well, let me say it again. Never can it mean a compound one. You need hen for that. My friend and all Trinitarians need hen in Mark chapter 12 and 29, where Jesus said, the first of all the commandments is, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. My friend breaks the first commandment. All Trinitarians break the first commandment. There's no need in talking about the rest if you can't get the first one right. And there's no need in talking about salvation if you don't get the object of your worship right. God is a radical one, beloved. Now here, the let me just close with this. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And beside me, almost forgot that, there is no God. Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5, 6, 11, 18, 21 and 22. And I'm only going to read the first part. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. And I think I have about uh, a minute or 30 seconds left. So I'm going to concede that time to my friend because he needs it.
1: Okay, thanks for that. So now we are into. The 10-minute rebuttal period. Uh, let me set up my timer. Are you good to go soon, OT?
2: Okay, I'm I'm to start.
1: Well, I'll give you a countdown if you like. Are you ready? So sure. each interlocutor has uh, 10 minutes to, to rebut the other's argument. So, OT 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... And that's time. Ten minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, once
2: again, just coming back. Um, and considering all that uh, my opponent has spoken of, uh, even before we started this debate, what the agreement, at least, which was sent to me, was that we're going to be sticking to scripture instead of uh, uh church history, instead of anything outside. But that's okay, you know uh I, I can see that they definitely do need help so they will try to uh use any means possible now the debate that the, my opponent is, has been making statements about akkad and making it seem like in hebrew they didn't have a word for one which is Yachid. now he'll have to explain to us why also in 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 scripture why akkad is also used to describe uh a, a a a family unit like a husband and a wife but he's clearly just trying to um and that's kind of that's pretty much what, what uh they do they 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 are pretty subversive because they want to they want to so um forcefully prove that they their, their position is true instead of just going straight to the scripture and reading it plainly to me when i approach the scripture i approach the scripture in the point of how will a three-year-old be able to understand it? Clearly, a three-year-old who's reading the scripture, because if a, re- a three-year-old is going to pass on, they will have to need to understand the scripture. Or maybe, let's say, even a twelve-year-old, right? Even a child who comes to the, the 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 age of accountability, it has to be simple, it has to be clear, and it has to be straightforward. The scriptures already makes it very simple and god makes it very simple and just the simple logical conclusion is when you say father when you say son when you say holy spirit like if you just spoke to your children without even complicating things and you told your child that god is a father and then you said that he has a son the logical conclusion that the child will will draw from is perhaps especially a boy, that he has a father and he's a son. So this is part of the trickery that they try to use by going through everything else because they know that scripture does not uh, stand with them. Um, He went to Mark. Let me see if I wrote that down. So he went to Mark. uh, Let me see. It was Mark uh, where he was talking about Jesus Christ quoting uh Deuteronomy uh 6 and 4. Yeo Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's actually trying to prove that Jesus Christ is contradicting the Old Testament. Now, how can Jesus Christ be be God and contradict the Old Testament? And then we also clearly know when it comes to theology, even though I don't have a theology background, I'm an accountant, but one thing that I know about in theology is that there's a the theory of first mission so per the first mention is not in, in Mark, but the first mention is actually in Deuteronomy. So since it's first mentioned over there, in uh, Deut- Deuteronomy uh, 6, 4, that's where the standard is placed. And that's part of the reason why our faith as Christians is such a wonderful faith, unlike other religions that abrogate uh, the first mention of, sta- of statements. But in our faith, we can test a re- repetition or something that's later said by going when it was first mentioned. And that's why I went straight to Genesis 1, where we have the first mention of God. And the first mention of God we have is Elohim. So these are things they will do. So they'll go into, and then they only have a few, few verses that they actually stand on. And then the rest of the verses that they hold, they hold to they 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 actually will twist it, recreate things, like even when it comes to the point of church history, the history of the church was actually Trinitarian. so if we were to go to the church history, when we go down to folks like Tertullian, when we go to the Council of Nicaea, when we go to even the first century Christians, the ones who wrote the Bible, they are Trinitarians because of the way they communicate Jesus himself is trinitarian from the way he communicates yet they will make a case that somehow revising history and trying to make claims on uh historical claims that oneness modalism or oneness uh modalism monoclonism and hopefully uh jerry will be able to explain this because i've heard the monocular position and to say the least I mean, it's, 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 it, it it's, it's, it, it's, it's, not consistent with scripture. From what I understand from the Ammanakil position is that they believe that the father has been wearing three masks from eternity. Now, the question comes back to like, when I mentioned in uh, Isaiah 53, when it comes to penal substitutionary atonement, just saying that he was wearing three masks does not answer the question of who is judging Jesus. It's not a mask judging Jesus. It's a distinct person judging Jesus. But they will go through hoops and, and twisting things and changing things, changing history, supplanting history. You know, what he's stating historically is not consistent. Even when we go back to the Jews, it's not consistent with what the Jews Jews believe. At the very least, when we go to, uh, for example, uh, Genesis nineteen twenty four. Which I'll be interested on in how he how else you'll understand this because clearly anyone who would read this anyone who would read this unless you're going you're going to twist it. So in Genesis 9, 1924, Sorry, let me just nineteen twenty four. Well, let me just paraphrase. I'm, I'm kind of finding it hard to find it, but anyway, the uh, way he says that uh, Yahweh on earth, rain, fire, and brimstone from Yahweh on earth, uh, in heaven. How else can you explain that without it being a triune God? And not even going to the argument of silence or saying, oh, well, uh, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned there. No, that's just an argument of silence. It's kind of like saying just because I s- said I have a brother, it doesn't mean I don't have uh, if, even if I said my brother is an engineer, it doesn't mean I don't have two other brothers. It doesn't mean that, you know, so these are certain things that, uh, you will notice with them. They will try to, uh, shock, to use a word of shock, shock and jiving. I think that's the, 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 the slang uh, terminology of trying to not deal with the text, the plain text that's before us. And as you can see with all the text that I brought, all the scriptures, and we still have more scriptures. Like one of the things that I'm, as I'm going to end off, for us to think about is the fact that Jesus Christ is speaking of somebody else testifying of him. I'll be interested in Jerry exegeting this properly to explain to me who is testifying of Jesus Christ. So in John 8, 14 to 19, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. So Jesus Christ is stating that I testify about myself using a personal pronoun. He says, my testament is true. For I know where I, I then he says, for I know where, where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I I, I come from or where I'm, I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, sorry, even if, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone in it. Notice he says he's not alone, but I am the father who sent me. Notice that he says, for I am not alone in it, but I am the father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself and the father who sent me testifies about me. So we've seen two distinctions here pertaining to the testament. So if this is not true, then you're making Jesus Christ to be a liar because he's testifying about himself. And we can go ahead and just throw away the New Testament because Jesus Christ lied because he said he's not alone testifying, but he has somebody else who testifies about him. So I'll be interested in him executing that instead of him trying to do a runaround where he's uh, now uh, trying to claim that yakid is a Eckhart. With that, I submit to my opponent, and hopefully he can give me clarity of John 8, 14 to 19. And I've got more, more, more verses. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Oti. Um, so, Pastor Jerry, it's your turn for a 10-minute rebuttal period um are you ready do you, you want me to count you down
3: um yes i would like you to count me down please sir
1: sure just give me a sec so i set my timer up great debate so far gentlemen uh, great great chat just a reminder in the chat if you have a question please put it in the chat and also um who the question is addressed to And Jerry, we'll count you down now, five, four, three, two, one. And that is time, 10 minutes.
3: Thank you, uh, Odie. Uh, I appreciate the participation in this discussion. Um, Of course, you know, I purposely didn't deal with uh, your arguments in the the last uh, speech because that was my time to affirm my position. And 10 minutes is really no time uh, to rebut hardly anything. So I'll get right to it. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. They think that they find the Trinity in, in these passages, especially in the word Elohim, because the word Elohim is plural. I would advise my friend and all societal Trinitarians to buy a good book on the Trinity by a good Trinity scholar and to learn what the Trinity doctrine is. Uh, I I don't, I've had over a hundred debates on the Godhead before live congregations and not one Trinitarian that I ever debated brought up Elohim to try to prove the Trinity. Now it's done all the time here on Clubhouse. I see, but, uh, I'm surprised that uh, my friend brought that up. Let's talk about and, and here's the thing. he talks about first mention being the most important thing and it is. so let's let's deal with this because if Elohim, if his argument of Elohim showing a plurality of personages in God um, can be disproven, then everything he has said is disproven. So let me for the sake of time avoid all the limbs of the of his tree and just cut the tree down itself right at the very base on the idea of Elohim meaning plural god persons now number 1 the trinitarian concept wants to have their cake and eat it too they want to affirm one god but yet argue for Elohim that literally translates as gods so do you expect us to think that you all are sober when you say you believe in one God, but yet argue for Elohim, which literally means gods? I, I don't see any logic in that at all, but let's talk about Elohim. And, uh, you know, pagan gods are called Elohim. Judges chapter uh, 11 and verse 24, and I won't get into all the, all the text. Uh, Moses is called Elohim. Are are you going to argue for more than one Moses, Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1? The prophet Samuel is called Elohim in 1 Samuel uh, 28 and 13. Now, though Elohim is plural, it must be accompanied by plural modifiers and plural verb forms to function as a plural noun. If accompanied by singular modifiers or singular verb forms, it functions as a singular noun. Uh, Page H. Kelly, Biblical Hebrew, an introduction grammar, Grand uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. uh, William B. Erdman's publication Company, 1992, page 32. Whenever Elohim refers to the one God, it is always accompanied by singular verbs, although Elohim is plural. Whenever Elohim refers to more than one false god is accompanied by plural verbs. Now let's go to the first verse of the Bible that he brought up. In the first verse of the Bible, the third person masculine singular verb created is used with Elohim. Since the verb is singular, it is required that he who did the creating is singular. In this case, the only option left to explain the plural form of Elohim is that Elohim refers to the fullness and intensity of the many majestic attributes of the one true God. Genesis 1 and 1 teaches one God created the heaven and the earth, repudiating polytheism. Elohim, the uniplural noun, is used with single verb bara created you see the hebrew could not show comparative degree good good uh better best much more most so to give uh, to intensify the meaning of the word it made it plural and our friends because they don't know the language and in their eagerness to drive at straws to up to undershore their trinity They actually think they have found the Trinity in the word Elohim. In Deuteronomy 4.28, a series of third-person masculine plurals, see, hear, eat, and smell, are used to describe the inability of false gods. In Genesis 1.26, and God Elohim said, he mentioned Genesis 1.26, the verb directly connected with Elohim, said, Is third person masculine singular? Therefore, one person said. You know, that the plural uh, Elohim is often used for a singular noun to denote a plural of majesty or excellence, which my friend doesn't like. Is well known by all biblical language experts and has been known from at least the time of Jesenius who is still regarded as one of the best authorities of biblical Hebrew. Jesenius, Hebrew Chaldean lexicon of the Old Testament, long regarded as a standard work for students. Page 49 shows that Elohim is sometimes used in in a numerically plural sense for angels, judges, and false gods. But it also says, quote, the plural of majesty. Jesenius uses that. Or Elohim occurs, on the other hand, more than 2,000 times. If you don't like plural of majesty, then use plurality of plenitude or plurality of potentiality. If a Hebrew is referring to a glass of water, he says waters. But if he is referring to a river or a lake or an ocean, he says waters. He simply makes the word plural. Now, I don't have to deal with anything else he has said if I just strike at the very root of his argument that Elohim is a plurality of God persons. Now, here's some modern Trinitarian scholars on Elohim. Nelson Expository Dictionary of the Old Testament, the common plural Elohim, a plural of majesty. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says it is a characteristic of Hebrew that extension and magnitude and dignity are expressed by the plural. Today's Dictionary of the Bible, 1982, Bethany House Publishers, written by Trinitarian scholars, by the way, apply, Elohim is applied to the one true God. It is the result of the Hebrew idiom, idiom of a plural magnitude or majesty. The American Journal of Semitic Languages and Literature several phenomena in the universe were designated in hebrew by plural expressions because they inspired the hebrew mind with the idea of greatness majesty grandeur and holiness and as my time is running out let me skip right on down here to uh this to show how ancient jewish scholars themselves understood this word Elohim. We can look at the word that the work of the seventy translators that translated the Septuagint into Greek, and the Greek language did not use the plural uh, of excellence as did the as did the Hebrew did, and so we see in the uh, we see plural. Then, uh, if we see plural use in the Greek Septuagint, it's usually intended to represent more than one individual. However any time that Elohim in reference to Yahweh is used in the Greek, it always uses the plural form theos, never theoi. And with that, I surrender the amount of my time.
2: Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll just read the scripture first. So from Galatians four four, it says, "So we too, when we were children, we held were held in bondage under the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness when the fullness of time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. So my question to Jerry is. When did God send His Son? Was it did was it a was it His pre existed existing Son, or is it after He was born? For what does verse is saying?
3: Right, that's a good question, and that's to answer that, so Jerry, Jerry, you have you have
1: five minutes up up to five minutes to to answer the question.
3: Right, well, thank you. That's a good question, and to answer that, I'm going to go to John chapter chapter uh, 17, we don't really have to guess uh, if it was the pre-existent son that he sent or if he was sent from the womb of Mary or if he was sent from his baptism. I think uh, Jesus answered that himself in uh, John chapter 17 and verse 18. We're in this uh, high priestly prayer of Christ And remember, this is a prayer. Therefore, this is the human Christ that is praying. And I think that even my friend will admit that Christ had a human nature and divine nature. And sometimes he spoke from his human nature and sometimes from his divine. So here it is, the human Christ that is praying. And he says, as thou hast sent me into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. The even so is key in this text. So Jesus is sending his disciples into the world as he was sent into the world. The disciples were not sent into the world from heaven. They were sent into the world from their conversion or from their baptism. So was Christ The Son of God sent into the world from his baptism. His ministry did not have a public uh, attribute until his baptism. Then after his baptism, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And uh, Gavin, you will have to call time on me because I'm not timing myself on these answers. But uh, that would be my answer to that, no, and I get problem. I would just let it mm-hmm. let it rest right there. Uh, You've still got four minutes if you if
1: you wish. I've got four
3: Jerry. minutes. I only use one minute. Okay.
1: You have sir. All
3: right. The Bible says that uh, in uh, John chapter one and verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and uh, Was John sent from heaven? Well, if you believe that John was uh, uh, Elijah reincarnated, you might would take that position. But I sort of doubt that my friend would go that direction. But yet John was uh, was sent from God. So when the Bible says that, when Jesus says that he was sent from God, when the scripture in other places says he was sent from God, uh, we're not to understand that he was sent from heaven. And and the reason, there's a reason behind that, the, the reason that we go that route, it's because that if we put a second God person in heaven with the Father, then we violate the Shema, we violate uh, Deuteron- uh, many Deuteronomy 32, 39, we, we violate the Isaiah passages where God the Father speaks and says, that he alone is God and there's no other gods with him. So we cannot interpret it that way. It has to be interpreted in the, as you say, the plain reading of, of the text, as thou hast sent me, even so send I them into the world. So I'm going to, no, I'm just going to surrender the rest of my time right there. I don't need all that time to answer that question. Okay, that's great. Thank you for
1: that. Um, so Oti, are you ready with your second question?
2: Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a really simple one. So pair in line with what? Uh, oh wait, wait. Are you timing me? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> can you can you start? I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I I I just went. Can you start over again? I'm really sorry about that. and Maybe you can... Get yeah, sure.
1: So so, you, so, so you have minutes. a minute? Yeah. Yeah, so five, four, three, two, one. You have a minute starting now.
2: Okay, thank you. So right in line back to John 17, 18. So what I'll be interested in, Jerry, is to clarify <laughs> to me since he said... The, since his uh, notion is that Jesus is the Father, so now if jesus is the father and him being sent also uh, equates to him being the father so are the disciples who are being sent also jesus that's my question i'm sorry
3: would you state that again
2: so since from uh, your perspective um jesus is the father right he's the manifestation of the father so are uh, the disciples who are being sent the manifestation of Jesus.
3: All right. Um, and you have
1: five minutes. Five minutes to answer,
3: Pastor Jerry. Name, would, you, would, would you count me down in, with a with a three, four, and five, please? Sure.
1: Okay. So you have a you have a five minute period to answer. Uh, in five, four, three, two, one, and that's time. Five minutes. Nice.
3: You know, it, we, want this, we, we really get a little bit uh, confused on the position of uh, our Trinitarian opponents when they confess the hypostatic union, but then deny its mechanics, deny its working. And they always want to paint us with that uh, straw man brush. Well, Jesus is the father. Yes, he is the father in another way of being, but he is not only the father, he's also man. And I have heard uh, Odie say, Odie, I've heard you say even in this discussion that Jesus was fully God and fully man. But yet when it comes to questions like this, it doesn't appear that you actually believe it. Either you don't believe it or you're being a hypocrite. I don't think you're a hypocrite. So I think that maybe you're just not really thinking the position of the hypostatic union through. No, uh, the, the question is really nonsensical. Because Jesus, as to his humanity, was not the Father. We would never say that. Jesus was a man. Uh, the Father was incarnate in that man. But that man was a complete human. In every, in every respect, as we are, uh, except with sin, he was sinless because he had no earthly father by which to inherit the sin nature. And therefore, that uh, that humanity of Christ we see throughout uh, the Gospels, referring to the Father, praying to the Father, so forth and so on. I mean, this question that Odie just asked me is akin to the question, well, was Jesus praying to himself in the garden when he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done? No, absolutely not. He was not praying to himself because uh, we have a, a a man, we have a human, not just a flesh suit, not just, as I heard somebody say, a jumpsuit. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I have heard uh, many Trinitarians just recently accuse the one in this position of believing that Jesus was just the Father uh, in a jumpsuit. No, Jesus was the Father incarnate in a human being. That human being was uh, was a full human being with a human body and a human spirit and a human soul. Uh, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, we read, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So Jesus had an origin. He, he had a generation from the flesh. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The spirit of, the holi- of holiness there is just uh, the King Jimmy way of saying the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary... I don't mean by a sexual uh, connotation with with that uh, statement. But she was found with child of the Holy Ghost or of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has generation from two points of of Genesis. One is from uh, David. One is from the human side. The other is from God. The other is from the Holy Spirit. So in Christ, then, as the council of uh, Chalcedon, the third council of Chalcedon uh, uh, declared, Jesus is in possession of two wills. Jesus is in possession of two energies. I think that council called it energies, but it's two spirits, the spirit of God and the spirit of man. Now, if my friend Odie does not believe that, then he does not believe the hypostatic union. He's just giving it lip service. So when Jesus talks about being sent, he's talking about the humanity being sent. He's talking about the Son of Man being sent into the world to be the redemption of all of mankind. Like John, once once that Jesus was baptized of John in the Jordan River. You'll remember John said, no, you should baptize me. But Jesus said, no, it's up to us to fulfill righteousness. So John baptized Christ. And then after that, John was teaching. Jesus walked across the periphery of his little group. And John pointed to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. At that very moment, John, uh, the brother of James and Andrew, got up and left John the Baptist and begin to follow Jesus. So his ministry began at that point. And at that point he was sent into the world. That's and that's to- time,
1: sir. Sir, that's time. That's that's five Thank minutes, you. Sir. Thank
3: you. So uh, uh so Odie, Odie time for
1: your third question.
2: All right. So my question my third question is in line with Psalms twenty-two verse ten, where he says, I was cast upon you from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. So my question to Jerry is, if he's holding to the hypostatic union and Jesus Christ is saying he had a God from his mother's womb, why isn't he a Unitarian? Do you want to
1: count down
3: Pastor Jerry? First, first tell me what what verse that was again. Psalm
2: 22, verse 10.
3: Gotcha.
2: And I can also give you another verse, but yeah, but Psalms 22, verse 10.
3: All right. Yes, go ahead and give me that countdown.
1: Okay. Okay, just one, one second, sir. So, you have up to five minutes to answer, and five, four, three, two, one, and that's time. Five minutes, sir.
3: Okay, thank you. I'm looking over this this text, and I'm going in accedently back a few verses. And just let me read it since I have five minutes. Uh, Let me go back to verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me, from my roaring? I'm just going to scan down through it. Uh, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted. They cried unto thee. But I am a worm and no man. Uh, we should agree that this is David speaking here. And, uh, and no man, a reproach. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. And, and this is prophetically referencing Christ, but it is King David speaking. He trusted on the Lord. He would deliver him. Uh, but thou art he that took me out of the womb, thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast, I was cast upon thee from the womb, thou art my God from my mother's belly, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Uh, this is a psalm of King David, and as you should be apparent that that the, uh, the the reference or the focal point is moving in and out of referencing David and the Messiah. But David is so much a uh, a, a type and a shadow of the Messiah that uh, much of the things that David wrote and said about himself can be applied to the Messiah. I don't have a problem of it being applied to the Messiah, but I think it's a, uh, verse 10. I don't have a problem with it being applied. It doesn't harm our theology in the least. Uh, I was cast upon thee from, uh, from the womb. Thou art my God and my, uh, from my mother's belly. These are David's words concerning himself. And if you want to apply that to the Messiah, I, I guess that would be all right. But the reason I'm not a Unitarian is because that this, well, let me uh, preference that statement by saying this. This would be true of the human Christ and of the hypostatic union. And you must believe it. You must believe it, too. So I could turn the question back on you. Why are not you a Unitarian? Uh, however, I'm not a Unitarian because I believe that Jesus was also God. I believe in the hypostatic. Union. I believe that there were two. Uh, uh, the Greek term is uh, is usis. Are Usias. There are two locus of centers in Christ. Christ had existence on two plane, on two planes, as God and also as man. So very simple. I'm not a Unitarian because I believe that he was not only a man, he was a man. And I believe that he was just as much a man as a Unitarian would, but I don't think that you do. I believe that he was fully man uh yet without sin many unitarians wouldn't believe that he had sin uh, but beyond the unitarians i believe that jesus uh, isaiah 9 and 6 unto us a child is born unto us a son is given there's the humanity and the government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called the mighty god the everlasting father so there you have the deity that keeps me from being a unitarian isaiah 9 6 and i i yield my time
1: yeah you've, you've got a couple of minutes still left pastor jerry if you want to use them
3: no that's okay i yield
1: okay that's good thank you for that so he now is time for your last question your fourth and final question for pastor jerry well yeah pastor jerry actually made
2: me has made it would but anyway let's start off okay so uh, we can actually see, from, hermeneutically from Isaiah forty nine verse one. Listen to me, o, you islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. Proper hermeneutics, you will see that speaking of Jesus, but he will probably say Isaiah. So now my question is, can you explain Psalms twenty two sixteen? And when was David pierced on the side? Because he said, uh, because he said, Psalms twenty two is talking about David. So can you explain Psalms 22, verse 16, and when when David was pierced on his side, side and he had uh, and he had a pair of, pack of dogs encircling him, as Psalms 22, verse 16 is saying?
1: That's time, Marty. So do you want to count down, Pastor Jerry? Uh,
3: no, that's okay. If you just start it, just tell me to go. Okay, just give me a sec here. So, five, four,
1: three, two, one, and five minutes, starting now.
3: No, I think that perhaps you misheard me or, or you know, maybe, uh, you know, I spoke it too fast that you didn't catch it. But I said the Psalms, David is a type and a shadow of the Messiah, obviously. And uh, much of what he wrote is prophetic of the Messiah. But never does it not reference David himself. It references David. So here, however, as a prophet, as a prophet, David speaks prophetically of the Messiah. And Psalms 22 is is one of those. Uh, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me and so far from, uh, from helping me? And obviously he talks here about uh, the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, the crucifixion, the the Gentiles, and so forth and so on. So um, never would I say that I I may have made a statement just a moment ago that uh, where I misspoke. David always spoke of himself, however... He, he phrased it and he couched his words in a way that the Holy Spirit did, I should say, to reference and prophetically reference the coming Messiah. So Psalms 22 is one that definitely lends itself to the crucifixion and the events around the cross. So David never was, I don't know if he ever was pierced in his side or not, perhaps not. But this is a prophetic reference to Jesus Christ. And I yield my time. Yes, sir. Uh, Odi is the word three or any form of that word, such as try, ever used in the Bible in reference to God?
1: So, Oti, you have up to five minutes to uh, answer and uh, explain yourself. Do you want to count down?
2: Sure. Give me a combo
1: all right so you have five minutes to answer pastor jerry's question and it's five four three two one and that is time five minutes sir
2: all right thank you i mean uh that's a simple simple answer no we don't have the word three but then when it comes to the to the bible when it comes to how we approach it, especially pertaining to what the Bible means about meditation. Meditation means actually taking time to think through what you're reading. And actually, because if we use that approach, number one, for example, we know that uh, the bull is actually used for what we call it, Aleph. So it doesn't mean whenever we are going to use Aleph, we have to use the bull, you know, we have to think through what that 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 symbol was meaning we have to think through the statements that we are, we are looking at like for example we have to think through why do i see elohim in the first uh, first uh, verse and then as i go further i see us being used over and over again and then i look at the full scope of the bible like for example some of the things we will not see in the bible and we we can log i can logically say that when God created Adam and he became a living soul. I could say God created him to be a homocipient, but you may not find homocipient in the Bible. Uh, It will be even the same case, maybe from looking into something that's prophetic. And I'll look at the cultural context of what is being spoken. And it might talk about uh, horse-drawn chariots. And then it might be actually applying to something that's a future event. And, I'm looking at the writer and considering the context and the cultural context of where he's speaking, that he might be. Oh, he might just say chariots, not realizing that he's actually prophesying about, say, a car, right? And I'm not saying the Bible says that, but I'm just saying when we approach the Bible, we have to think through what we are reading, and uh, and 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 that's how we're able to draw to conclusions that when it says. Uh, go and go ye and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit when it says that by the Word of God and by by the Word of God were the heavens made by by the breath of the Almighty, you know, at the very least we are seeing two there. in the beginning was the word and the word was with God we are seeing two there. so it's simple it's like saying it's like making a statement saying, oh, do because I have five fingers, I don't see five on the fingers. So I don't have five fingers. With that, I land my plane. Thanks.
3: All
1: right. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, still had about two and a half minutes to go. That's fine. So Pastor Jerry, time for your second question, please, sir.
3: Okay. Uh, Odie, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6, who is the only yeah. God in relation to idols?
1: So, Oti, do you want to count down for your oh, yeah. answer? Let me
2: give him a chance to let me go to it, to the verse. Sure. So, oh, yeah. No,
1: no rush, no rush. Hold on.
2: So you can ask the question again with the verse. So hold on. First Corinthians.
3: Chapter 1. Uh, I'm sorry. First Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. In particular, verses 4 through 6.
2: Chapter 8, verses 4. 4 to 6.
3: Yeah. Who is the one God in relation to idols?
2: Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 to 6. So the one God, and that's also primarily... Okay, let me go ahead and read it. Therefore concerning the eating of food, food sacrificed to idols, we do not... We we know that, in, that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For... Even if there are so-called call gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's only and uh, for us there's only one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for Him and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. So first off, when we're looking at this verse, it says. Uh, it's actually giving a distinction, so it's not a problem with the with the Trinity because that's what I stated in the beginning of of uh, my opening statement that the Trinity we believe in one God who exists as three persons, and when we say persons, it's not meaning three gods, and that's the straw manning that we keep on getting from oneness uh, oneness individuals because it seems like they just do not understand what the Trinity is. So now if you look at this verse, it's not making a statement that God does not exist as three persons. It's just saying there is the one God, but one God, and it's distinguishing God from the, the other so-called gods, you know. And then also one of the things that he would have to uh, now clarify is why is Jesus Christ in verse 6 being called, given the, the Adonai, the Lord uh, uh, description here, and he's being told as though he's that one Lord. And then one of the things that I would actually go to is First John five. Um, so First John five. Uh, sorry.
1: So I'm going to. How I what? What? Where am I on time? Um. You've got exactly three minute. Three minutes. Okay. Good. So I got. I got some time. Okay. Good.
2: So in First John five. The last verse, last two verses. Actually, let me read from eighteen. We know that that one who who is born of God, sorry. John five. So we know that one who is born of God. Sorry, sorry. Actually, let me start from. Where am I? Oh, so let me start from uh, twenty. Uh, from verse 20 and he says and we know that the son of god has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son so clearly it's telling us that him there is the father because it says we are in him who is true in his son jesus christ then it closes off and it says this is the true god and eternal life now it's not a problem with us uh, with the Trinity, because we know that God exists as one God who exists as three persons. So as him existing as one God, per his person, he can be, he has the, uh, God has the, fa- it's the Father and the Son interacting with each other per the persons. So we don't have a problem with actually Jesus Christ in this verse being called the true God. Because we also know that's gonna to apply to the Father when we go to John 17, 3. So we know that this is something that the Bible does. But when we reconcile all of Scripture, that is how we can we can understand that this God who is triune, sometimes the label or the 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 description is given exclusively to the Son, sometimes to the Father, and sometimes to the Holy Spirit. You know? But in this case, in this verse, is being exclusively. Uh, described to the Son. So it's not a problem for us, for uh, per, 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 uh, the Trinity. It's a problem with oneness. They need to clarify why we keep on seeing this distinction of the Father and the Son. Thanks.
1: Great. Thank you for that, Oti. So Pastor Jerry, now it's time for your third question.
3: All right. According, Oti, according to your view, was it God the Son who prayed in the garden? Is that all you're asking, Jerry?
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, according to according to um, the Trinity, yes, God the Son prayed. And uh, one of the things that we have to ac- actually clarify when it comes to the hypostatic union is this. Yes, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. Now, one of the things we do not want to trip off of, and there's one, uh, theo- two theological uh, terms, diaphilochism and dipheticism. So in Jesus, the person, Jesus, has two wills, the will of God and the will of a man. Uh, diaphilochism, two natures, the nature of God, and the nature of a man at the at at the garden of gethsemane yes it's the human being jesus christ saying not my will per me being a human being right but your will per the nature of god so he's actually speaking in his humanity and he's praying to a distinct person so now the, the the challenging part that oneness needs to explain is who is this human being, right, praying to at the at, at uh, the Garden of Gethsemane? With that, I submit.
1: Okay, very good. Thank you for that. And now, Pastor Jira, is your last question? Question number four.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, according to your view of uh, the the trinity, do each of your three persons have their own wills and consciousness?
2: Okay, so uh, you'll have different views. Did you want to count
1: down? do you want to count down?
2: Yeah, go ahead. Count, Count me down. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Okay, hold on. Just give me a sec. Okay, so you have five minutes to respond. Five, okay. four, three, two, one, and time, sir.
2: So I would definitely encourage uh, our esteemed brother here, Bishop Jerry Hayes, with a great number of years in theology, to actually take the time to go and learn dialecticism and dialecticism, and uh, also uh, spend some time on learning on the on the on the heresy of nestorianism you know and many other things including docetism which was the issue that was happening in in uh, the heresies that were happening so now to answer his question do they have different wills will and so dythelitism gives clarity of what will is will and uh, dythelitism and diphysicism, it has to do with will and nature so Jesus Christ, being fully God, has the will of God. So the will is an aspect that also is tied into nature. Like, for example, a cat has got a will. So that will of a cat is what it does and operates as a cat. So on the theological way that we're looking at it is this. And interesting enough, I've got an accounting background, but uh, my esteemed brother here with 40 years of experience in theology, Needs to be. I need to explain these things to him. So anyway, um, uh, so pertaining to the fact that that will that makes God is found, and that is also coming back to the substance, the nature that makes God is found in the Father, is found in the Son, is found in the Holy Spirit. Right. Likewise, the will of the human being is what Jesus Christ also has. And that's why he's got the hypostatic. That's what has to do with the hypostatic union. That's what has to do with the communicated properties that makes Jesus Christ fully God and fully human being. And that's the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. So um, pertaining to the distinction in wills, what are you speaking of? Are you speaking of uh, wills as a nature? Or are you speaking of will in the sense of making your decision yeah we do have an aspect of will per nature then we have an aspect pertaining to uh you having choice pertaining to how you decide about things so those are some of the things now in in the case of consciousness yes when it comes to persons uh persons has to do with self-awareness awareness awareness of self and i i'm I'm glad, glad he went to that point pertaining to asking about consciousness so now that's the aspect of persons persons has to do with consciousness has to do with awareness uh, uh, self-awareness awareness uh, awareness of self-awareness of others and moral agents so this is the distinction that we're able to to uh, pass out from the scriptures because when we look at what jesus christ when he's communicating like when he talks in john 14 26 he makes it very clear to us um so he gives us a very clear distinction over there. And what helps us with it is how Jesus Christ helps us with it is he actually uh, lays out the personal pronouns. And it's very clear Jesus Christ is achieving this for us, too, because in John, first John 5, 20, 20 and 21 that I just read earlier, already clarified that Jesus Christ has brought, has come to give us understanding of the father. So he says, but the helper Right. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring your bring to your remembrance all that I have I said to you. So you can see him giving a distinction of the persons. So that's one of the things with understanding the distinction of the persons. And then we see also the clear uh, um clear interaction of the persons pertaining to what
1: makes persons. i you my mind. Great. Thank you. And that is your fourth and final question, Oti. So, now we're moving into closing statements, and each closing statement is uh, up to seven minutes long. Now, as you opened um, do you want to go first with your closing statement, or do you guys want to swap? It's entirely up to you.
2: Well, let me give Jerry the opportunity to make a decision on this one, because I asked for us to close, to, to send the closing statements Then, so that, to be fair to him. All right, thanks.
3: Um, I, no, actually, the proper order would be Oda. you go now. And uh, I would go last since you are you started it, so I would I would go after you.
1: Okay. Do you do you need, do you need a countdown, um, OT? Sure. Do the countdown. All right. All right. So it's seven minutes. Seven minute maximum for closing statement, and it's five, four, three two one and time seven minutes sir. once again
2: uh want to thank jerry hayes for uh giving me an opportunity to actually have a debate with him this is actually my first debate uh with an individual all in all my life besides high school and actually i don't necessarily have a theology background uh, uh, i have an accounting background But I do love uh, the Lord greatly, so I really appreciate him for giving me this chance to actually have a debate. I really appreciate him. I appreciate him for his amount amount of experience and how much he has learned in his area. However, one of the issues that I have with pertaining to well, the several issues that I have with uh, with uh, even with the opening of the debate, uh, the fact that he did not even solidify or give clear uh, explanation per the scriptures consistent with what the scriptures say it was it seemed like he was really uh moving away from the point like for example when he jumped on the elohim case it looks like he even though he's got a theological background i think he fails to actually understand that we're dealing with the middle middle eastern culture so we should be applying the scriptures per middle eastern c- culture we also see the problems that we have pertaining to how he approaches the scriptures, like for example, even a very clear messianic uh, psalms that the majority of Christians, including Christian scholars, would would conclude that it's not speaking about David; it's actually speaking about Jesus, because there are very clear ver- verses there that cannot apply to David, because David never experienced that. But it seems like what's what what is now going on is that Jerry Hayes really needs to just join, um, needs to just go through the circumcision process and just become a Jew like every other Jew, but not the Jews that he was claiming, because when we go back into history, when we go back into the first century, we see the consistent thing and the consistent themes amongst the Jews that they actually believed in a a multi-personal God. Obviously, Mm -hmm. later on, that's when there there were changes towards how they believed in God. But the thing is, it's very clear when we look at scripture that there is a multi-personal God. The only two conclusions that you can draw from scripture is either there are three gods or there is a God who exists as three distinct persons. Mm -hmm. How we are able to reconcile this is, especially when when you went to Deuteronomy uh, 6.4, even though Deuteronomy 6.4 is not making any oneness claim, as an that's not the major focus in De- Deuteronomy, but it's more on focusing on the uniqueness of God compared to any other gods that 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 were in uh, the ancient Middle East. So it says, Here, you, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is a So now it's interesting that even though that wasn't a, a, a focus to even talk about the Trinity. Neither oneness modalism, but interesting enough, God would use the word achad. And we see this consistently happening. You see Elohim being used. You see Akhad being used. Yes, he may he may might have been able to use different words, but he keeps on using utilizing words that shows that he's multipersonal. And yet again. At the same time, he also shows that he is a unity. He is one God. So now what also happened all through the debate was we find that the opponent spent most of the time trying to make it seem like we Trinitarians do not believe in one God. Actually, one thing that I can confidently say is that our scriptures, if you read the scriptures properly, hermeneutically, with sound hermeneutics, sound exegesis is that god is one being who exists as three distinct persons now the other thing that will state is that oh it's because i don't see three and like i stated it's like somebody saying oh because i don't see the number five on your fingers or ten on your fingers so that doesn't mean you've got ten fingers I'm just saying that we are able to bring out... That's one thing God encourages us as Christians. He encourages us to take our brains and bring them into the church and think through what we are reading and think through what we are engaging with. And that's one thing. If anyone read the Bible with all sincerity, they will draw to the conclusion that God is one being who exists as three persons. Anyone who does not believe in God being one being who exists as, as three persons is has been taught by somebody else and it's it's actually contrary to what scripture says so whatever oneness modalism monarchian modalistic monocularism and all those other things that is not uh, actually consistent with what scripture says now uh, my opponent will also accuse us of being social uh, trinitarians and unfortunately my opponent doesn't seem to really understand what social Trinity has to do. Social Trinity was actually an argument that had to do with the relationship of it's a Trinity argument of dealing with the relationship. So if I was ma- making mention of the relationship, like love, where love came from, where relationship comes from, then I'm doing a social Trinitarian argument yet. That is a way that they're trying to actually uh, uh, cast dispassion on the Trinity with applying things not consistent with what is actually defined. And they do that. Unfortunately, the opponents do that. They do that with history. They do that with scripture. They do that with every single thing, even the word of God. Now they are the authorities above the Jews. Um, and that's why I can safely conclude, including the fact that when I, 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 I took us to Isaiah 53, Showing the penal substitutional, substitutionary atonement, uh, how oneness is actually a major problem. And I can safely and comfortably state that uh, oneness, modalism is heretical. And if a person does not repent before they die, and they hold to that view of God, they are not going to go to heaven. I'm sorry about there's,
1: that. That's time, okay. I think it's time to, that's time. Thank you. Okay, Jerry, it's, it's time for your uh, seven-minute closing statement. Do you, do, you, do you need a countdown, sir?
3: Uh, hang on just a second. Yes, sir, if you don't mind giving me a countdown, but uh, right.
1: You just tell me when you're ready.
3: I'm ready when you are.
1: Okay, so Jerry, this is your seven minute closing statement in five, four, three, two, one. And that is time, sir, for seven minutes.
3: Thank you. Uh, first off, I want to uh, give a summation of my of my questions. I asked my friend, uh, Is the word three or any form of the word found in scriptures in relation to God? He answered truthfully no. But well, then, of course, he argues that um, it's it's an arrived at conclusion. Well, you can arrive at a lot of things if you twist enough passages and scriptures. The truth is the concept of God being three is uh, uh, extra biblical. It comes from outside the scripture, and then they have to argue it back into scripture. Um Cardinal John Henry Newman, who is now Saint John Henry Newman of the Catholic Church, uh, wrote in his Apologia that doctrine and is not found in Holy Scripture. Now this is from the Trinitarian concept. It's not found in Holy Scripture, but it's found in the creeds and and the uh, catechisms of the Trinitarian churches. And then Holy Scripture is consulted to support what they learn outside the Bible. Odie has learned his doctrine outside of Holy Scripture and then comes to Holy Scripture to try to find some scriptures here and there to support it. He referenced uh, Matthew 28, 19. He's done that two or three times tonight. Matthew 28, 19, uh, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, every time, that's the command given by Christ, and every time that command was obeyed by the apostles, it was always in the single name of Jesus, which is, according to uh, the, the structure of Matthew 28, 19, baptized in the name, the single name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And that only fits with oneness theology. It does not fit with societal Trinitarian theology at all. I don't think I use the word social trinity. I may have, but uh, I usually use the word societal trinity because uh, this form of the trinity, this model has three rational, conscious uh, persons in society, loving one another, talking to one another, sharing one another's work, so forth and so on. That's tritheism. I don't care how you cut it. And the early church didn't teach it. It was not the dominant view for the first 300 years of the church's history. And if anybody tells you that it is, either they have been lied to or they are purposely lying themselves. I said, according to 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6, who is the only God in relation to idols? Now, the reason I ask this, because when we go to the Shema and the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, they'll holler, oh, that's one in relation to idols. Uh, That doesn't mean that God is uh, a a literal numerical one. That's exactly what it means. And this is why that I went to 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6 and asked the question there, because that is very clear that the only God according, uh, uh, the only God in relation to idols is the Father. Did he answer that? No. My friend talking about me becoming a Jew, you observe the Passover on that. I mean, that's very Jewish of you. And uh, you didn't answer it. And you really should have. It just walked up to the old licking block and said, let me see. Verse 6 says, and to us there is but one God, comma, the Father, of whom are all things. See, verse 5 says, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, Uh, Verse 4 says this, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, but that there is none other God but one. And then verse 6 says that one God is the Father. I'm shocked that you just didn't have the courage to answer that. The one God is the Father in relation to idols. And that puts all of their, uh, their word dancing that they try to do in the Old Testament to bed. So uh he mentioned uh, and, and then he, he ran off to to first John chapter five, and he also ran off to John 17 and th- and and three, where there the Father is called the only true God by Jesus. Of course, Christ said that chapter 17 is a uh is a prayer, so that's the humanity of Christ speaking. I said, according to your view, uh, was it God the Son who prayed in uh in the garden. And he said, yes, it was. Uh, and then he talked about the humanity of Christ praying. Now look, if you and I agree that it was a humanity of Christ praying, and Christ was praying out of his humanity, then why do you and others of your elk pretend to have a problem when we see Jesus speaking of himself uh as, as having a relationship with the Father? Because that's not the deity of Christ having a relationship with the Father. That's the humanity of Christ that has a separate will and even a separate consciousness than the deity of Christ has. That, beloved, is the hypostatic union. He talked about Nestorius. Well, and and then he tried to chide me on on theology. Uh, I was reading theology probably before you were born, my friend. And Nestorius, you need to read up on Nestorius, you need to read the scholarship on him for the last hundred years, because since his apology was discovered at the turning from the 19th to the 20th century, (coughs) the book called, and you need to write this down and and buy it, uh, The Bazaar of Heraclides, it is Nestorius. Then the Nestorian Church of the East has been received back into fellowship with the Roman Catholic Church, and Nestorius is no longer considered heretical. In fact, Nestorius's teaching was codified at the Council of Chalcedon after they excommunicated him at the Council of Ephesus. The very next council accepted his teaching as being uh, orthodox. So that's on that score. Now, in the, uh, do I have any time left?
1: No, no, that's time, Pastor Jerry. Sorry. You just that's ticked over far. seven minutes. Okay, I'm sorry. All
3: right. Yeah, I, that's yeah. Fine. I was waiting for that's your fine. call time. Thank you. I'll just yeah, land my there. Right. And anything else, we'll deal with that in the audience question. Sure.
1: So now now it's time to move to the audience questions. We've got four four questions now. Unfortunately, um the question the questions are not directed um at a particular debater, so I think to be fair, we should perhaps allow each debater uh I think it's up to 4 minutes to answer the question, and then the other debater is allowed up to 2 minutes to to rebut uh their opponent's answer. Does that sound fair? It's just because these these questions here are not directed to anybody. They just like it seems like they're directed to both of you. I've actually asked the questioner, "Who are they directed to?" But he didn't answer me.
3: Wow, that's a that, that's a tough one, actually. Uh, are Are you able to read the question and determine if, if it's a Trinitarian or a Oneness asking it? I think.
1: Well, he, he's he's very well he's, he's, he's not a he's not enthusiastic about the Trinity put it that way yeah. but if but if, if, if it's, it's totally up to you guys it's totally up to you guys what, what, what do you well, want if to do it's,
3: if, if it's a neutral question we really need to be given the same amount of time sure sure
1: well let's see how we
3: go anyway so
1: the first question is is following Um and he's, he writes this, if this is mentioning the Trinity, here's the question. Why did no Jew understand that this way for 1,000 years? Can, you, do you want me to repeat it? The English is not that great. No,
3: that, 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 he's, he's anti-Trinitarian, so give that to Odie for four for minutes and I'll take a response. Okay. Do you want to count down OT? Uh
2: sure, sure.
1: You want me to repeat the question?
2: I think I got it. He said that uh if this is mentioned the Trinity, then why didn't no Jew... uh what's the rest? Mention the Trinity.
1: Uh, yeah, he says, um why did no Jew understand that this way for a thousand years? No Jew I understand. Okay. Yeah. So I'll count you down, sir, if you're ready. Okay, sure. Okay, five, four, three, two, one, and time. Four minutes to answer, sir. Thank you.
2: So uh, just to answer the individual's question, first off, um, we have to go based on what the scriptures say, not what, what Jews did or how Jews perceive things. So the first thing is the scriptures. So the Trinity is a continual revelation. The thing is, we, we, we do see the distinction, some the level of the distinction in Genesis 1, where we see the Holy Spirit uh, uh, being uh, creating, where we see the word there, and where we see the fact that he's using uh, words like us. Also, we can see the Trinity in, in in Psalms 33, verse 6, where it says, by the word of God were the heavens made by the breath of the Almighty, um, the host thereof. So when we are looking at the continual revelation of the nature of God, we can see that they are all, you find them all in, 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 the, in the, what do you call it, in the, old, in the old testament so like for example in isaiah 48 16 you see that actually being laid out and you see the aspect of the trinity uh you see the concept of the trinity showing up even all through the old testament and the only way to interact with even statements that the son is saying and the way he's speaking like the psalms twenty two ten, that i that I, I shared with, um, with 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 Jerry is that how else who who would be the individual speaking, and who is he speaking to, or if, unless it's just an arbitrary uh, sum, but now like for example in Isaiah forty eight sixteen, he says, "Come near to me, listen to this. From the fir- from the first, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it it took place, I was there, and now the Lord." God has sent me and his spirit. So you can see a distinction happening there. But then we go to 1 John 5, 20, and I think I'm going to read it again. It explains to us why it took till Jesus Christ came in as a human being because that was also part of his mission where it says in 1 John 5, 20, and he says, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son comma in his son so distinction jesus christ this is the true god and eternal life so it's been a continual revelation and jesus christ gives us very sound clarity of the trinity especially when you read from john uh 14 to six seventeen, 17 where you you actually see the personal pronouns being clearly laid out like this is a clear verse and isaiah isaiah forty eight sixteen is clear but jesus christ solidifies it and makes it very succinct but the jews back then when you look at the uh, uh the the writings and uh the the surrounding documentations pertaining to the jews they were drawing to this conclusion but they are not the standard the scripture is the standard
1: with that i i, I lay my plane. Thanks very good thank you so jerry you have uh, up to two minutes rebuttal time for OG's answer um just let me know when you're ready I'll, I'll count you down if you like
3: ready count me down please
1: okay just give me a sec here okay in five four three two one and that is time two minutes sir
3: okay what Odie, the way he answered that is uh, very revealing. The Jews didn't understand their God, he is saying, basically. And, and that goes diametric to what Jesus actually said to the woman at the well. He said, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. There, Jesus put his stamp of approval on the radical monotheism of uh, the Old Testament Hebrews. And he mentioned again the us from Genesis one twenty six. You know that the way that he and his uh, and his group understand that violates what the Father Himself said in Isaiah 44-24 about He created alone by Himself. And the answer to that is uh, Ephesians one and eleven, where God created all things after the counseling of His own will. He doesn't like. Uh, the uh, plurality of majesty, then use another word, plurality of plenitude, plurality of uh, self-deliberation, whatever you want. But God counsels with no one, the Bible says. Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, deals with his Psalms 22 and 10 passage, because he says, surely that's the son speaking in Psalms 22, 10. No, it's David speaking but he is speaking prophetically of the Son. Try as you might to find the Son of God in the Old Testament. You can't outside of prophecy. Hebrews 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verses 1-2 says, it's only the Father who spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. And then he mentions Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 16. That's about the most... Uh, Hilarious thing that I have heard in in this last year.
1: That's time. That's time. Pastor Jerry. That's two minutes.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay. Um, All right. So the next one looks like an anti-Trinitarian question. So uh, the question is the Trinity is complicated. If God is not the author of confusion why would he never state it or explain it, but leave it to people hundreds of years later to do it? So I guess it's directed uh, at you, O.T. That's for me again. Okay, so, yeah, Do you want me to repeat it? Uh, yeah, can you repeat it again? Okay, um, the question is, the Trinity is complicated. If God is not the author of confusion, why would he never state it Or explain it, but leave it to people hundreds of years later to do it. If you want me to count you down, just let me know.
2: Okay, go ahead, calm me
1: down. Okay, so you have four minutes, sir, to answer starting now. Time, four
3: minutes.
2: So, um, unfortunately, this might be, I wouldn't want to go too deep into us actually talking about, the, at, at the very least, how the T actually fulfills the three fundamental laws of logic and how it's actually divin, divinely simple, because it seems like the individual is appealing to a situation where they feel <laughs> because, because the thing is what confuses them is you have uh, uh, bishops like uh, Bishop Jerry Hayes, who actually confuse things without just letting them read the scriptures as they they say, you know, there isn't, it's not complicated in the sense, one thing that I I would agree, because uh, one thing is for sure, that yes, there is a mystery to God. And the thing is, the reason why there's a mystery to God is because, um, it's because he's God, right? And the thing is, it's not only, we don't only have mystery when it comes to God. We also have mystery pertaining to so many other things even we we are not we're not we are are familiar with mystery in the world like gravitational force is a mystery we understand gravitational force but it's a mystery its workings are a mystery exponential rate is a mystery The, the workings are a mystery but we understand it the way our minds are in our brains and how our brains and our mind operate with one another And it seems like it's contained in our brain, yet it seems like our minds also transcends our brains. That's even a mystery to us. And we experience it every single second of our lives. So uh, that appeal to the complexity is not necessarily, and I think the question would be more so, is there the Trinity in the Bible? Is God triune? Is God uh, displayed as a multi-personal God? As a tri-personal God, now we can go ahead and we can go to the Old Testament where we we now it, the Trinity explains a lot of things that are going on. For example, when uh, God when when the Lord is speaking to Moses and then He appears to Moses, so you have the Lord speaking to Moses. Then there is the other one called Lord who's who is passing Moses by. Uh, what do you call it? that? Moses sees his backside uh also we have like in the case of uh i believe was the first kings 19 we see that repetition of the experience with elijah and what is interesting is elijah and moses happened to be the people the the two individuals who had mount transfiguration who actually had that experience and they had a distinct voice from the father yet they were with jesus at that point Now the problem with other position and why it's complex is they need to explain to us, to us, whether Jesus Christ is a ventriloquist because every single time Jesus is there and there's someone speaking and people are hearing another voice and they can see it's this thing from Jesus, even at the baptism. So now the oneness model is need to explain to us why their voices, voices coming from heaven. And they can say hypostatic union because if he is the father for their, their hypostatic union, because their hypostatic union is that he's the father and a human being. So if he's the father, then he is a ventriloquist, but he, him being the son and being distinct from the father who's speaking makes more sense than... than, than um, So that's why the Trinity makes sense than the oneness, modalist position. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Ari That's just shy of, of four minutes. Um, Pastor Jerry, you have two minutes to to uh, rebut um, OT's answer. Let me know when you're ready and I'll, I'll count you down. I'm ready. Okay, so you have two minutes, sir. And five, four, three, two, one. Your time starts now. Two minutes.
3: Isaiah 9 and 6. When well, to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It never was confusing. Never was confusing. It was known from the very beginning that the Messiah would be man and Father God. Uh, We are told by Matthew that his, uh, referencing back to Isaiah, that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Uh, As far as a ventriloquist uh, remark is concerned, God exists outside the incarnation the same as he exists inside the incarnation. The Trinitarians have the same situation with God the Son, unless they're going to tell us that God the Son was in Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, quantitatively instead of qualitatively, and that when he was in Jesus, he was not omnipresent, then we have the same situation, and it's not really honest to pretend that we don't. So we have God the Father incarnate in Christ, not quantitatively, but qualitatively, therefore, he could speak from heaven, or from the sky, or from a rock, or from a tree. It doesn't matter where he chose to speak from. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Pastor Jerry. That was that was almost two minutes. That was perfectly timed. So the next question um, is uh, for you again, Oti. There's lots of love coming your way, brother. Um, the question is it's quite short it's would, quite a short I, I, question. Like to, Sorry?
3: I, I, I would like to call for a, I'd like to call for a point of order to give Odie every question here on the end, just giving him double the time.
2: Yeah, uh, Gavin, I think it'll be fair if the next two questions are from a Trinitarian so that uh, Jerry can have a chance to with the same just the same way so i mean i see several trinitarian i see yeshua is down there uh i don't know if yeshua has asked the question um who else is here who's trinitarian maybe check the back channel i don't know if yeshua has asked, asked the question but i know he's trinitarian um okay. and, anson, and the che- anson, anson down there anson is actually trinitarian yeah, um,
1: and yeah, and and in, in the chat, guys, um, there's only been four questions asked, and they're all from the same, same gentleman, and he's he's a um he's not a Trinitarian, so those are the only four questions in the chat. And this has been some added while I've been doing this question and answer.
2: Yeah, I mean I I wanna give him a fair chance to to get the his two four minutes too. So I mean I don't mind asking answering the question, but I think it will only be fair to also give him that balance too. So that um oh, so let's let's a, try to get some Trinitarians to ask a question. Yeah. I think so here's Chris, one Chris from Anson. Is there. Chris, yeah, can here's you one can from ask Anson. a question? Pardon? Oh one from Anson, great. Yeah. Okay. There's okay.
1: there's one from Anson. Um Thanks, Anson. So this is this is for you, Jerry. Um, and Anson asks, "Why does Jesus say He was with the Father before creation?" Uh, John seventeen, verse five. For Bishop Jerry Hayes. Um, um, give me just a
3: second. If you want. Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, take your time. Let me know when you're ready, and I'll count you down. All right. Okay, so are you no, ready no, to go? No,
3: I'm not I'm not quite ready yet. Something, something Okay, just, yeah, just I'm
1: sorry. Just me me know. No, 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 take your time. Take your time.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll get there in just a second.
1: Yeah, we're not trying to defuse a bomb or anything.
3: No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh Yeah. I'll be there in just a second. I got to go to my Bible. My Bible app just went on the. Beginning. Thank you, Tom. Thank, Thank you, Tom, time. sir. Okay, John, John, chapter seventeen, <clears throat> and what what verse was it they were asking about?
1: I'll just check. I think it was verse five. Five,
3: verse five, it usually is. Okay. All right. I'm ready when you're when you want to count me down.
1: Yep, sir. Just give me a sec here. It's seventeen, verse five. Uh, so uh, do you want the do you want the question again, Pastor?
3: Yes, please.
1: Uh, the question is uh, to you, Pastor Jerry, and uh, he says, "Why does Jesus say He was with the Father before creation?" John seventeen, five. And I'll count you down. Um, five, four, three, two, one. And you have four minutes time starting now.
3: All right. Glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory I had with thee before the world was. Is Jesus praying an impossible prayer? And I ask that because Isaiah chapter 42 and eight says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory will I not give to another. We know that is the Father talking there from Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. And Isaiah says uh, again in chapter 48 and verse 11, I, Yahweh, will not give my glory to another. So is Jesus praying an impossible prayer? Glorify thou me with thine own self? No, he's not. And because that uh, he's not asking for the glory of, of Godhood, here he's asking for the glory that he as a man as the son of David had with the father before the world was and that glory was the redemptive glory of Calvary and this is his high priestly prayer it is the human Christ that is praying and he's praying to now receive that glory saying I am ready to be crucified I am ready to be resurrected. I am ready to shed my blood. This is the glory I had with you before the world was. And now glorify thou me with it. Now, if it's the other way around, that's the only way that will work hermeneutically with everything the Bible teaches. If it's the other way around, then Jesus is another God person in the very beginning which violates the Shema and violates every new uh, Old Testament scripture on God being one. And uh, it it also uh, violates the passages of the word of God that bring the deity of Christ into focus in like Isaiah nine and six that I quoted earlier, that he's the mighty God and he is the everlasting father. Plus, It brings into question the way you guys are wanting to understand Philippians chapter 2 and and verse 6. Because Jesus dwelt in the form, the morphe of God, but thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but then emptied himself. In one one, uh, respect, you say, no, he didn't really empty himself. Then what in the world is he praying for here? Because if you're going to go here and say he's praying to get his deity back, if he's praying to, to be restored to that place that he was in before he came, to, he came to earth as a man, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory I had with thee, then, then you're going to have to bring the way that you look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Uh, you're going to have to review that again. Because either either Jesus did did empty himself or he did not. Of course, we say he did not. He just chose not to act in his God prerogatives. And that's what our Trinitarian counterparts like to say and want to say. But when they get to this verse, they have Jesus praying to receive the glory of deity back again. And that just doesn't harmonize. And I'll land my
1: mic okay perfect timing perfect timing thank you Pastor Jerry Um, Oti you have a two minute minute rebuttal period would you like a countdown yeah sure go okay five four three two one and that's time sir for two minutes
2: so if you guys notice man with with the modalist oneness modalist before the word before is not before the word is sent is not sent the word glorify is not glorify the word equal is not equal they have to revise how the words are used to make sense of the scriptures the funny thing is even if you read it and this is one that they usually try to use so they try to use three as a, a proof text to try to claim that uh, what do we call it um so, so they try to make their claims, especially from. But usually, what ends up happening is they trip per unit as Unitarians. But if you look at it, it starts off and it says, "And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent." So the word "sent" is back there. Then, you, if you read the full context, "I glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the work you have given me to do." So he has said he has done what he was supposed to do on the earth. Now he says, and now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So he has already done the work of glorifying the Father on the earth. Now he's asking the Father to glorify him with that glory before the earth began, even before he was born uh, two thousand years ago. So if you look at the way they twist things. They just have to twist words. They have to redefine English words to try to make sense of their... So they're actually, they're actually exegeting their, their, their theology or their doctrines. They're not exegeting the scriptures. That's what they're doing. With that, I land my mic. Thanks.
1: Oh, perfect. Perfect timing again. Um, thank you for that. And the last question, the last question of the day is for pastor jerry um the question is for you for you jerry can it be can it be said that the father received the father from the father and then poured out the father in acts chapter 2 verses 33 and 34
3: Acts chapter 2, verses 33 and 34. Yes, sir. You just tell me when you're ready and I'll
1: I'll count you down. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Do you want me to repeat the question?
3: Uh, No, I've I've read it pretty much.
1: Okay. All right. So 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and two-minute rebuttal starting now, sir.
3: That's four minutes, but let me go. Therefore, oh, sorry, did... four minutes.
1: Four minutes. Four minute answer. Oti's doing the OG's doing the rebuttal. <laughs> All
3: right. Sort of add about thirty seconds on there for me.
1: No, <laughs> no, no. That's
3: being... fine. That's fine. Okay. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has shed forth this that we now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heaven, uh, but he he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, set thou on my right hand till I make thy name as thy footstool. Uh, Again, the, the hypostatic union and the dual nature is just not taken into account here. The Trinitarian people give it lip service, but every time they see it in operation, all they see is two God persons. You can find relationship between Jesus and God, yes, but you can never find relationship within the Godhead. And you would have to put this, uh, that uh, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. This is a man. This is the humanity of Christ that is being exalted. And having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father. And he hath shed forth this, which we now see and hear. The glorification of Christ, and this dovetails right into the last question that was asked. The glorification of Christ brought about a true communicatio idiomatum where there is a sharing of attributes between the human Christ and God the Father to the point to where it is termed that Jesus actually, when he ascended back into heaven, received the Holy Spirit, or he he received, uh, how should I say, uh, a glorification of his humanity into deity. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I do not go away, I cannot send the comforter. And this is why. Because once I am glorified, then I can baptize people with the Holy Spirit. John said it was Jesus that baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the and the, the Luke writes that it was Jesus that shed forth the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. All right. And uh, how much time do I have left? Any time at all?
1: Ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. Sir.
3: OK, then I'm going back to John chapter uh, 17, and I want to pick this up. And uh, my friend, you know, really, it, it, it would do good if we learned how to read the scripture. There are certain statements in this prayer of Jesus that are proliptic. Meaning they are out of sync with the time in which Jesus made them. In verse 11, Jesus said, and now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I am come to thee, Holy Father, keep thou thine own name. Uh, Now, Jesus said, now I am no longer in the world. Was he no longer in the world? Of course he was in the world. But yet he said, I am no longer in the world. It's a proliptic statement. That is spoken out of joint with time. He is speaking of a future period. And here now, O oh, Father, I, I I have glorified thy name. That's a proliptic statement. He had not yet glorified it, but was about to glorify it. He had not yet left the world, was getting ready to leave the world. We need to learn how That's to do
1: That's time, that. sir. That's time, sir. That's four minutes. So, Oti, you have a two-minute rebuttal period. You tell me when you're ready and I'll give you a countdown. Countdown, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so two minute rebuttal period five, four, three, two, one, and that's time, sir, two minutes.
2: Thank you. Maybe let me just go ahead and read X two thirty-three, thirty-four, 34 so that uh, because I don't think, uh, which is kind of unfortunate with. Uh, uh, our dear esteemed brother here who has got uh, 40 years of experience and a background in theology because he doesn't seem he understands the communicata, communicata idiomata, neither does he understand the hypostatic union. There is nothing to do with the communicata idiomata or the hypostatic union in this instance. It says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father. So the aspect of Jesus being in the right hand, how is that his uh, what do you call the hypostatic union of him both being God and being human being he's at the right hand of someone that this is clearly a Trinity verse having received from the father you receive from someone else the promise of the Holy Spirit so he, he he received from the father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured out this so he's actually now pouring out the Holy Spirit because of the promise that you yourselves are seeing and hearing For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Now, clearly Peter understands that when David was writing Psalms 110, he wasn't writing about himself, but he was writing about it was a messianic uh, uh, Psalms. Unfortunately, oneness, uh, modalism will make you even mess up the Psalms because I'm sure he'll also mess up Psalms 110. One ten, which was being quoted from so uh now back to john 17 uh, uh, 5 5. it seems like um mr our esteemed brother over here doesn't understand before the the earth existed so whatever he's trying to state and trying to uh cast dispersion that is a different it's 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 a a different context in a different passage and if you read it properly with context. That, that's unfortunately- time,
1: that's time, Odie. Time, that's two minutes, sir. That's two minutes. So that is the end of the question session. And I guess that's the end of the debate.